Welcome to TV Chinwag, where we take one part cheeky talk, two parts witty banter, and dump in a whole heaping spoonful of snark. It's TV Chinwag. Here are your hosts, Ryan and Jules. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the 21st episode of TV Chinwag. We are now legal. I think we should go get this bitch drunk and take advantage of her. What do you think, Jules? Well, excuse me, but some of us have been legal for a number of years if you're in Australia. It depends or what you're Canada. Talking. Yes, exactly. So it sucks to, sucks to be a teenager in the US. Um, I think you have, <laughs> <laughs> you have to be 21 to be able to buy uh, crack cocaine and invade another country in the US. Well, no, you can be 18 to invade another country. Oh, that's true. That is Don't true. Don't worry, yeah. So that's fine. Right, so you can be you can invade another country and kill people before you can drink, which is probably a good idea when you think about it. Uh, I, I'll take the alcoholic booze any day. <laughs> <laughs> so how are we, Jules? How was your week? Uh, very good. Speaking of booze, I've just been uh, enjoying my very own homemade bourbon-soaked bacon for breakfast. So... Um, Oh, forget the bacon. Just give me bourbon. Well, (laughs) bourbon and bacon for breakfast. My life's life's pretty good. Ooh, that does. And so it turned out well, you're saying. Excellent. Excellent. I expect to get... did you need a smoking machine, like a smoker? No, you cure it first. It cures uh, with the various uh, salts and nitrates and that and bourbon for a week, and then you just slow cook it. So you can do that either in the oven or in a smoker or or a barbecue or um, I actually did mine in my slow cooker. Uh, and then you have bacon, and then you fry it up. And how long did you have to cook it in your slow cooker for? A uh, couple of hours. Oh, that's slow, slowly. <laughs> yeah. Slowly in the slow cooker. My uh, Where I bought the curing stuff from, it came with a very handy little um, meat temperature thing that you stuck into the middle of it and it popped up when it was ready so that that was handy because oh. this is my i'm a i was a bacon virgin before this so now uh, I'm, for cooking it not uh, eating it oh yes so now i'm ready to rock and roll bacon um, are you tw- going to start exporting australian can you make kangaroo bacon i mean i suppose you can make anything out of bacon problem with kangaroo is it's extremely lean so I mm-hmm. think you'd end up with something more jerky-like than bacon-like, right, uh, unfortunately. Right. So um, unless I can work out a way to fatten up kangaroos, maybe mm-hmm. I'll take them down to McDonald's for and supersize them for a month or something. I'll get working now, on do that. Do kangaroos eat uh, French fries? Because uh, they've got a little pouch. You figure they could just put the fries right into their pouch and then just nibble as they went along. No, because their arms are too short. They couldn't reach down there. Oh, man. It sucks to be a kangaroo. It does, yeah. They're very, they've are very. got those little T-Rex sort of arms, so right, yeah. um, they're, they're not much good for anything. Do they smell? Like kangaroo? Yeah. Well, they smell like any sort of furry creature, I suppose. Are they friendly when you see them? Yeah, yeah. I, I've never met a I've never met a grumpy kangaroo. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they pretty, have them in the city. They're pretty chill. Yeah, yeah. You get them all over. Mm-hmm. They just sort of hop around and eat grass. Do you think I could have one as like a wingman? I mean, like if he was a really cool one, we put shades on him and he wore like a Hawaiian shirt. 
Oh, dear. I think someone made a horrible movie about that, didn't they? Um, yeah, they did. <laughs> yeah, but I still, want to, I still want to fashion uh, my life around it, Jules. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that might be one of your less wise life choices, Ryan, of which there's uh, probably quite a long list. You know what, Jules? Thank God I have you, because I have made so many mistakes in my life, and this is a prime example. Of it is, the and anyway, of... I thought you were more a koala man than a kangaroo man. But anyway, well, I that... thought so too, but you said koalas were boring, and they didn't oh, really do anything. Oh, koalas are horrible, and they piss all over you, and they make horrible right. noises. And... Yeah, they're not really a good wingman. Uh, well, if you want to attract the ladies, particularly non-Australian ladies. Oh, no, ladies... I, I mean to help me fly my fighter jet. Oh, well, can- koalas are at least are small. They wouldn't take up much uh, right. space. But a kangaroo would look pretty fucking cool in a cockpit of a fighter jet. Uh, yep, the tail might be a problem. You might have to do a bit of modification there. Okay, I'll work it out. I'm going to work that out. Thanks, it Jules. Thanks could, for your advice again. It could be, could be the plot of uh, our next Stars TV series. <laughs> We've got to come up with a really good name, though, right? The Fighting Marsupials. Oh God! <laughs> I'm pretty uh, sure we'll, we'll, we'll workshop it. We'll, we'll, we'll workshop it. We might have to get Gary the Goat in there somewhere. <laughs> if people That's aren't aware of Gary the Goat, go to YouTube. Now, speaking of animals that are turned into people, I heard that you went and saw a Kevin Smith movie this week <laughs> called Tusk. Yes, yes, I did. I did go and see Tusk. Thank you very much to the Melbourne Horror Society for the free tickets. Oh, um, very cool. Yes, oh, we love it. We love a freebie. Unfortunately, I missed out because on the that was the Thursday night. On the Friday night, Kevin Smith did a live Skype uh, at the cinema, um, but that sold out very quickly. So anyway, I had to put up with. Um, uh, with just getting free tickets. I loved Tusk. Um, I it, it's it's a body horror genre movie. Think mm-hmm. human centipede. Um, yeah. Think anything where people's bodies change, fall apart, putrefy, whatever. Ah, uh, puberty. Pu- <laughs> In fact, uh. probably a, probably a good uh, a metaphor. Um, right. Look, I, I I loved it. I thought it got the, the just the right line between between horror and humour. Um, if you're Canadian, there's some hilarious in in jokes for Canadians in there. Um, so the, the tale is about a rather obnoxious uh, podcaster, obviously not based on anyone in reality, um, mm-hmm. who goes around interviewing weird people and uh, chooses the wrong person to interview. Who and he gets kidnapped and uh, horrific and bizarre things done to his body, uh, and the the main character is played by Justin Long, uh, and uh, Haley Joel Osmond turns up. Ex six, the kid from Sixth Sense, who's now grown up. Um, and yeah, look, I I loved it. It's my sort of movie. I it wouldn't be for all Kevin Smith fans. I think the body horror stuff might uh, won't be to everyone's taste. Um, if you're expecting Clerks, it's not that. Um, but I'm glad to see him making movies. And and the the movie's actually based, and I'm sure you know more about this than me, uh, Ryan, on a podcast he did. On yeah, it was a podcast on on Smodcast. Smodcast. Um, yeah, two fifty six, I think it is. Uh, and it was based on an advertisement that someone found in 
um, Craigslist. Well, it was actually it's a site called Gumtree in the state uh, in the UK, and it was a quite a lengthy posting offering free room and board. Well, a free room in a really big mansion, um, and all the person had to do was once a day uh, dress up as a walrus for two hours out of the day and uh, and just play around as a as a walrus in the ad it goes on saying that the you know the the person uh, from a first person perspective had lived in the arctic or the alaska in canada and had befriended a walrus and, and that's that's basically the exact plot of the movie right and, and this was from the advertisement he'd be befriended this walrus and had um, created an amazing friendship with this walrus and since he's had to return home, he's never been as happy. And if someone could just put on the walrus costume for only just a few hours a day, you could live in his giant mansion free of charge. So, in traditional uh, Kevin Smith and, and Scott Mosier uh, uh, vernacular, they'd talk about it for you know a good hour and a half and just make huge jokes and laugh and really enjoy it. And as Kevin Smith, if you watch any of the interviews, says... That's where you can sort of see the light bulb come on over his head when he's saying things like, you know, why doesn't somebody make this as a movie? This would be a good movie. And then realizes, oh, yeah, you're a movie maker. Why don't you make a movie, dumbass? (laughs) So they got a hold of the young guy who wrote the ad as a joke. And um, he signed off that, you know, let's make it into a movie. And within like six months, they they had a movie made. And within a year, it's, it's out in theater. No, the reception hasn't been great. To me, it's bizarre why they didn't bring it out at Halloween. I mean, any horror flick in the theater at Halloween does the best for that week. So I'm not sure why they brought it out September and not the end of October for me. Um, it hasn't done well. You know, it's made its money back, but it had done that actually before the theatrical release, uh, just with, uh, you know, uh, sales internationally. So that's a, a little bit disappointing because it would be nice to have a breakaway hit on his hands just for making a stupid movie about a podcast. Um, <laughs> I think, I mean, one of those, it's, it's one of the circular issues is, um, you know, it hasn't had a wide release either. And I know a number of people when I've been spruiking it online have said, oh, you know, yes, it was at some cinema in my city, you know, for a week or, you know, it wasn't on at all. So, I mean, you, you run into that thing of... You know, it just not having being on enough screens to um, to get the audience and to, and to hang around. Um, I, we're lucky. I've got a there's a really great cinema here in Melbourne that um, you know nurtures these sort of things, and and they actually organised uh, on the opening night to do a um, a Skype hookup Q and A with Kevin Smith, and and that sold out in in moments. Um, so. Uh, I think it'll be. I, I'm pretty sure it'll become a bit of a cult classic. It's look, you know, it's not the best horror movie you've ever seen. It's not the funniest movie you've ever seen. But I think it does what it it's doing really, really well. There are images in it, and and this is one of my, you know, uh, ratings benchmarks for movies. You know, there are things in it that I will never forget. There are images in it that are just burnt into my brain for good or bad and it, it's a you know as you've described it's the tale about 
you know that that it's based on is is like a you know it's a wonderful like quirky short story and and it's executed i think really really well i think what it's done is is bring kevin smith back into people's minds as a movie maker um and, and look i hope he does more of this sort of thing uh there was tr- talks of oh he'll, he's going to do another clerks and it's like well <laughs> I, Yes, fine, but I'd rather him be doing, you know, making brain farts into movies because this is that sort of movie that it's never going to get studio backing, you know. It's never going to be, you know, uh, a big production, but it just shows what you can do with, uh, I assume, not a huge amount of money and certainly not a lot of time. And I I, I bet it will become a, a bit of a cult classic because there ain't many stories about, Guys getting turned into walruses. No, it's, it's very. It's an underserviced genre. It certainly it's not a category on Netflix yet. <laughs> well, it could be. It's probably you know look up human centipede. It might be uh, in uh, in the category along with that. Right, anthropomorphisms or something. Something um, like that. Human abortmisms. Uh What about there's also not a category on Netflix of podcast turns into movies. So that's. That is interesting as well. And again, I just want to remind you, Wingman, who's a kangaroo slash fighter <laughs> pilot. Yeah, you I say think, is crazy I, now. But. I know. I I think that might be one of your solo projects, Ryan. I'm I'm not sure. I quite see the potential in that one yet. But we're going to need a distribution in Australia, uh, Jules. <laughs> Oh no, we're not actually really fond of movies with with um, <laughs> anthropomorphized kangaroos over here. Now, if they if it's a horror movie, uh, things like Razorback, which was a horror movie about a a feral pig, they do really well. So, if you want to make the kangaroo a serial killer, I'm totally on board. I thought we could maybe do a whole like Ernest style thing with him, where there's a lot of subgenres that can go along with the character. Quite, well, that that could be that could be part of our franchise. Every movie's yeah. a different genre. Yeah. The rom- the romantic comedy, Catherine Heigl and a kangaroo in a Thelma and Louise style romp across the outback. Slow down, I'm taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> then you have to have the you know Die Hard Down Under, where the uh-huh. uh, you know the kangaroo has to beat off a whole lot of terrorist koalas. Oh, he'll beat them off, all right. <laughs> no, he can't because he's got those short little little uh, T Rex arms. Luckily, koalas live in a tree, so they can sort of be at height. Hey, did you ever finish watching uh, Silicon Valley? Yeah, we've talked about that. that. Last... We did review oh, the... it. <laughs> did... Well, I know we did a review, but I don't know if I didn't know if you had watched the the last episode or not. I can't tell you now. It's between me and the listeners. <laughs> I, you know, I'll hear it right. Oh shit! Bugger! Yeah. Oh, quick! I'll Too have late. I'll have to edit that out before I send you the file. Damn! Too late. <laughs> so, um, uh, oh. any news? Uh, getting back to TV. Um, any news, Ryan? Well, um, I saw an article, juicily titled um, "Cameron Coos talks that there is an inevitable return to Lost, the TV series." Mm-hmm. Carlton Coos, you know him? Yes, the, we talked about him. We talked about him just a couple of weeks ago. We certainly And I didn't did. know who he was, but now I'm asking you if you know who he is. 
because that's that's how I roll. Um, it, it, it which is. is a very juicy, um, a very juicy headline. Lost return is inevitable. Co-executive producer Carlton Coos. Yes, and when what, you, what's it actually when you dive about? Into that a little bit. He's basically saying, "Yeah, well, Disney owns it, so I'm sure they'll probably bring it back one day or whatever to make money." Oh, okay. So right. <laughs> so good job, Toronto Sun, with your misleading bullshit. So basically, a uh, clickbait headline. Yeah, pretty much. And you fell for it. And I fell for it hard. <laughs> no, we talked about because oh, uh, Carlton's uh, still got uh, uh, Bates Motel, which is the Psycho prequel, I think, coming into its second season. And uh, he's also involved with The Strain, one of our not so favourite shows. And of course, his co uh, co showrunner from Lost, Damon Lindelof, has uh, the wonderful The Leftovers. Uh, which we also talked about in that episode, which you haven't watched yet, everyone out there, go watch The Leftovers. I'm not going to tell you now, again. I heard something interesting about The Leftovers because I'd asked a certain actress about it because we were talking about Ooh. women in, in television and that there aren't enough plus 40-year-old women represented in TV. And I said, well, have you seen The Leftovers? Because in my opinion, there's a really good... Uh, there's a, a lot of really powerful women who are over 40 that are, are doing a great job. And she said no, because apparently The Leftovers was a non-union production. Oh. And there was signs up all over the union in Los Angeles saying, you know, don't, work don't on watch it. it. Oh, you know? I didn't know that. Well, I thought that was interesting, yeah. So, I don't know if that's even true or not. I, I haven't looked it up, but I assume it is. Oh, I will look into that. That's disappointing. Mm -hmm. Well, or not. I don't well, know. Well, I don't know if it makes it bad or not. I don't know. Uh, well, uh, yes, as I, I would be interested to know why it was done as a non-union production. Uh, of money, yeah. obviously. Um, right. And uh, I, as a lifelong unionist myself, I wouldn't support um, non-union companies or productions. So um, I will look into that. That's interesting. Uh, now, I know for a fact that filming in New York and Chicago and areas like that are extremely um, difficult and money has to go to the right people if you want to be able to film and have the union on your side. Yes, well, um, the United States is a very strange place in terms of industrial relations generally, so well, yeah. I'm not... And backhanded politics, which we will be talking about today in one of the shows that we're reviewing. Well, actually, both the shows I think we're reviewing today are about, about politics and piracy, both in different ways. <laughs> some unsavoury people. And some unsavoury people. Uh, I think they're yeah. actually very f similar series. Um, I've got a little bit of news I wanted to talk about first. Excellent. Um, mainly because, of, as we mentioned last week, you know, it is pilot season at the moment and um, there's new shows uh, coming on every week as well as returns of favourites. Uh, there's that whiff of blood in the air as everyone watches, you know, 44 minutes of a show and then decides whether the series is going to you know, succeed or fail, which, you know, look, it must be heartbreaking, I think, uh, uh, working in television where you put so much work into getting a, sh you know, finally getting a series, uh, you know, getting a pilot and probably, you know, filming the first half dozen episodes and then you've got all these people all over the internet judging it on your on your first 44 minutes. Um, you know, shows, I, I think that it feels like, 
shows get a lot less, certainly on the networks, get a lot less time to find their feet these days, uh, unless you've got a really shitty network and then they keep shitty shows around because <laughs> they've got no nothing better. Um, but, of course, ratings are, are, are at the, the, the centre of all this and it's been an interesting uh, evolution over the last decade or so that... Um, about how ratings get measured. And we've seen, certainly in the last five years, the idea of the, uh, what's called the, the C3 and the C7, which is basically looking at how many people watch the live broadcast and then how many people have watched it three days later and how many people have watched it a week later because, of course, everyone records things um, and watches them at other times. Uh, the problem with that, of course, for a network is that the reason they're interested in ratings is because ratings are what get them to sell advertising, which is their income. And if people record things, they don't watch the ads. So it's... Sometimes, yeah. Oh, well, who, who records something and doesn't skip over the ads? Crazy people. Crazy people. I would say most people. Okay, I won't make a... A blanket statement. Then most people record things, cut out the ads. So you've got this, okay. uh, uh, you know, problem here. And 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 certainly a show that previewed during the week, which is from Sondra Rhimes' um, production house, called How to Get Away with Murder, starring starring Viola Davis. Apparently had the highest post broadcast. Uh, watch ever like there were something like six million people watched it not when it was broadcast mm. so that's good news for the show it shows that it's popular it for whatever reason whatever it's up against people chose to record it and watch it later but then you get that well if people are going to do that every week it doesn't really help us with our advertising obviously the situation's different for for cable um stations but certainly on the networks that's still um, a bit of a challenge. So we'll be, you know, I mean, always interested to see, as everyone is, what shows are going to rise and fall and how things are going to evolve. And, and you and I are going to be talking uh, over the next few weeks about some of the new pilots. Uh, and as we said last week, we'll, we're going to give them a few episodes before uh, we ring the death knell or the success bell on them either way. Um now, I'm going to warn you, there's going to be some that I'm not going to get past the first episode. Yes, I agree. I've, I've certainly watched... Well, I've watched one that uh, I I watched the second just to give it that extra chance, but I was right on the first, I think. But there are mm-hmm. some, I, I will agree. There are some that you pretty much know it's a stinker out of the blocks. Um, but there are other shows. I mean, I think we we mentioned last week, you know, there are, there are shows that do take... Uh, time to find their tone or, or even for the story to develop you know the the plots burdened with having a lot of backstory to set up and exposition and then you know it can take a few episodes to get into the characters so you know they don't really kick off until episode four or five maybe um but there are some that are just bad and there are some that people will be hooked on right from, you know, the word go. Uh, and they might get bad later. So television, right. it's a funny thing. <laughs> Sounds pretty funny. Uh, uh, I, but I, I'm just sort of thinking of the shows that you've watched that made you come up with that. 
this week was there a few that you did watch that you're not going to comment on yet i don't don't want to i think we'll be reviewing them i think that you and i both will have a a rage at a couple of real stinkers and and there are others uh and and i'll put it out there i think gotham's one for us to talk about and 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 a show that's garnered a lot of mixed reaction uh to date so um yeah i think we should talk about it sooner than later but let's give it at least a few episodes uh before we dive in there if that's okay oh yeah no i i definitely want to i think uh it's always you know i think yeah i'm interested to see how these things develop and of course all the shows we watch for this podcast often if it's a show a series i haven't seen uh like uh, actually black sales uh today and you start watching it you think well if i had have stopped after the first episode or two episodes actually i wouldn't have got the point of the show so um right uh, you do, you know, I do think you need to give, unless you really hate it straight up, in which case life's too short. Yes. Life is. Agreed. Life is too short. So let's um, get on with the shows we're going to talk about. What would you like to start with, Ryan? Well, we have two shows today that are both about um, terrible people doing terrible things. <laughs> um, let's first talk about a show called Black Sails. The most important element of a healthy ship is trust. Without it, a ship is doomed. I gave you an order. And what happens when those orders get us killed? Tell me we're not crazy to put ourselves through all of this. If there's anyone who can make it better, it's you. You're lying to them. For their own good. Time and again, he gambles with our lives. I'm going to deliver them into something better. This is a potential prize that changes everything. No matter the struggle, no matter the cost, I'm gonna make you the princess of the new world! Now, this is a Stars production, Woo-hoo, Black Sails, which is one of our faves. <laughs> and, Jules, you hadn't really watched it until we started reviewing, is that correct? Like, until recently? Uh, no, I hadn't. I'd, I'd uh, had it on my list of, you know, things to watch. Um, right. And because, hey, it's about pirates, which, you know, I, <laughs> I have thought that had potential what i did end up watching and i'll mention it here just because we both thought it was appalling um not long after you know a few months after black sales started there was another pirate show called crossbones um premiered on nbc and it was written by neil cross who people will know from the english series luther which is a huge favorite of ours um, and it starred John Malkovich. So it's like John Malkovich and Pirates. Oh, my God, how amazing is this going to be? And um, neither of us lasted past the first episode, did we? No, we won't be reviewing that and one, it, although we should review Luther. We should review Luther, but not not, not right. Crossbones, which was so appalling, and it did get cancelled uh, halfway. It only had 10 episodes, and they didn't even get to air all of them. I don't know what Crossbones was, but it was... Um, it was dull as dishwater, and if you can make John Malkovich as a pirate boring, then um, you should um, be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> but, well, actually, no, no, uh-huh. I should say, you've probably got a skill. I don't know if it's a marketable skill. 
<laughs> but it's certainly a skill. So it was actually a great pleasure to discover Black Sails. Do you want to give us a setup? What's Black Sails about? So Black Sails is a pirate TV show that takes place in uh, the Caribbean. Um, it actually is a prequel to Treasure Island. Did you know that? I did. <laughs> oh, well, I didn't. Um, Captain Flint and his pirates 20 years prior to the Robert Louis Stevens uh, Treasure Island. and. So basically, you have a crew of pirates um, that Pirating. are gearing <laughs> to go out. Now, I'm gonna be honest with you. It's about pirates. There's beautiful women and hunky guys and puffy shirts. Um, some cool ships and some beautiful scenery. Amazing set decoration. Really um, good CGI. Awesome. I thought, I, I thought- uh, fantastic visual effects. Um, some fantastic acting costumes and makeup that are out of this world. The dialogue that's great, Jules, but I don't know what the plot was. <laughs> so let me let. Uh, and I feel terrible about that, but I don't know what was what. Everybody is gearing up, you know, that they're sort of putting together a crew and getting ready to leave. Right? <laughs> let me let me. Where, where were they going and what were they doing and all? Let that me stuff. lay it out for you, and I, and I think uh, this is where the. Uh... I really like that I can watch a series and then just get Jules <laughs> to explain it to me. Actually, we were asking the other week, why do people uh, still write, you know, recaps of TV episodes? Obviously, for this very reason. And I said it was for dumb people. I guess I was right. (laughs) So, um, I think that's, you know, another thing this show has got in common with uh, House of Cards, which we're going to talk about next, because uh, there are a lot of... um, machinations going on. So, yes, it's set uh, in... uh, the early 1700s in the West Indies around New Providence, which is, is the island which uh, the capital Nassau uh, of the Bahamas is is on. And in this this time, it's it's basically a pirate base. So all the pirates go out and they plunder uh, trading ships and they bring the bounty back. And there's a, a family there who... Um, the Guthries, who then on-sells the whatever it is, tobacco, sugar... Um, whale oil onto legitimate traders so um whatever they brought back as their bounty their bushy bushy <laughs> you just wanted to say bushy didn't you <laughs> and there is quite a lot of good bushy of all sorts in this show oh, so the mm. the show starts with uh, with a ship being captured um by a pirate ship led by by captain flint and what what it turns out is that there's a huge spanish treasure galleon which has got like $5 million worth of treasure on it. And uh, he's found out through uh, through various um, rumours and drunken bar stories that uh, there is someone who has uh, a map of where this Spanish treasure galleon is going to be sailing. And it's been a closely guarded secret, obviously. And so uh, in capturing this ship, by various mechanisms, they come about the um, the the route that this uh, Spanish galleon is going to be taking. Now, the main players are Captain Flint on this ship. There are other captains, um, the wonderfully named uh, hipster captain, Captain Vane. <laughs> He's a bad man, but very stylish. Um, and uh, the... Uh, Guthrie family, who uh, the the daughter of the family who actually sort of runs the Eleanor Guthrie, who runs the trading station on on Nassau, and and 
the the intrigue in it is pirates all hate each other and want to kill each other, but they all want to get this Spanish galleon, so they have to work together. Um, and and also the idea of we can't just plunder ships forever. That's that's a nice short term goal, but uh, Captain Flint particularly ha- knows that you know there's going to come a day when the British Navy is is going to, and probably the Spanish Navy is going to come down hard on them. Should they be basically planning for the future? <laughs> <laughs> he wants to have a retirement mm-hmm. plan and, and maybe turn Nassau and um, New Providence into into their home. Um, there's internal ship politics about who wants to be captain and who should be captain and double dealings. Um, and that's, that's the intrigue of it, if you like. Um, as you as you said, it's a gorgeous looking uh, show. It's one of the producers is David Fincher, who's... Um, an amazing film director, uh, known for everything from um, you know Fight Club through to uh, Social Network and uh, the big movie that's out at the moment, Gone Girl, uh, which I also saw the other night. Um, the same night I saw Tusk, actually, because I love watching movies. Um, Bear McCree does the music, uh, so the music's fantastic. The special uh, visual effects, I think, um, you know, are brilliant because that's one thing you have to do in this is you have to believe that they're pirate ships on the ocean. Um, it's dirty and gritty. Oh, which look they do, they do, the and it's oh. that sort of um, it's a more gritty. Um, realization of this time so so you know people except for of course everyone's teeth are better than they should be but people do look dirty and Mm -hmm. uh, grimy Um, there's even references to um, you know trying not to get sexually transmitted diseases Uh, there are uh, there's a lot of sex there's some queer sex some nice girl on girl action right from the pilot Mm -hmm. Um, and lots of boobage and rum Mm -hmm. what did and schlongs. And schlongs. Uh, what did you think of it? I I like it very much. I, I like to look at it, but like I was saying, I'm not. I wasn't really. I don't know if I've just had it on the background when I'm doing other things, but the main plot I wasn't really following. Um, it does so many things right. Uh, period wise, it's perfect. It, it seems to fit perfectly for the period. Nothing really seems out of place or out of time. Um, couple things I didn't like, the trope of the super powerful yet 90-pound beautiful woman <laughs> who everyone's afraid of. That kind of annoys me. I don't really like that. Um, to me, that could easily just be a big dikey woman who runs the show and kicks everyone's ass, and that yeah, would have been a she, more interesting she's a little character too, uh, than a little English Rose, isn't she? This is uh, a little Eleanor too, Guthrie, yeah. who's, who has a past relationship with uh, Captain Vane, a current relationship with um, Max the Whore, and uh, basically <laughs> everyone goes all googly eyes around her. Um, and yes... Uh, She's the governor's She's the daughter, go- yeah, right? All the, yeah. Um, yeah. And, you know, look, the, the actor, Hannah New, is fantastic, but I, I do I do oh, agree yeah, that uh, uh, she just doesn't quite carry the, you know, this is this is basically a woman who's running a port where the, the most, you know, murderous and treacherous, you know, people in the hemisphere are turning up and you can't quite, I mean, other than her value as being the one who buys their goods, you know, I, I, yeah, she, she needs a little bit more um, physical grit about her, I think, and uh, 
Or, or if she was written differently, a la, um, um, what was that uh, uh, Victorian cop one uh, that we watched? Oh, we just reviewed it like two weeks ago. The Victorian police. Oh, Ripper Street. No, yeah. Ripper Street. Um, they had a woman who was powerful and in charge, but she used she used sex to manipulate people into what she mm. needed opposed to trying to use quote-unquote intimidation like this character does. So to me, that could have been played off a little bit different, but either way, I mean, the actress does a good job of it. It's just, it's a little bit tired. Uh, Toby Stevens is in this, whom you know from um, a lot of things, but uh, um, more recently you know him from playing the character, uh, what's his name, in... um, Oh my god, I'm so sorry. My brain is falling off. What where what is he from? Uh, well, he was in one of the recent Bond movies. He was in um he was in an adaptation of Jane Eyre. Um I'm trying to think what else you'd know him from. The hell did I know him from? Uh Vexed? Could be. Maybe it was Vexed. I'm sorry. Now I'm just drawing drawing my own blanks. <laughs> um Oh, he Anyway, he's a recognizable he uh, actor that you've probably seen. Have you? Oh, you've watched Strike Back, haven't you? Um, I have. Yeah. Um, anyways, he he plays our Captain Flint, sort of the main uh, hero that we follow around. I think he does a great job. He's very intriguing and and uh, you know interesting to look at. Everyone is very interesting to look at. They're all either dirty or gritty or I didn't like the too nice of teeth, which yeah, happens quite they, often. Uh, look, you know that's everybody's got that's super a really teeth. easy thing for them to fix as well like you don't have to do anything other yeah. than just rub something yellow on them like it's it's not you know but when you've got or even get film that can yeah go on i mean but when you've got the hollywood you know bright veneers on them it's just you know the contrast with the rest of them uh is is outstanding and and some you know a few and it's a shame considering how much work that went into their costumes to be period accurate <laughs> and to be weathered and to be this. And, and it really is. Uh, to me, it's a slap in the face for every other yeah. department there that has, you know, blood, sweat and tears in to make it look as realistic as possible. And then you get, oh, I don't, uh, you know, I want them to have perfectly white teeth because it, that to me is just an insult to everybody else who does a trade yeah, on that show. Um, I, I think it's wrong. Uh, Zach McGowan is in this who does a great job as the Captain yes. Jane that we talked about. Um, people re- might recognize him from Shameless, the American yep. version of Shameless. He plays Jody, the boyfriend. Um, he's another guy that almost has his own sexuality. Oh. He's uh, very brooding and uh, and uh, very delight to look at. Um, I yeah, think, I mean, there's, there's really a certain... Cool um, there's almost an androgyny about him, and uh, and he, uh, yeah. you know, he's great in this role because he's almost uh, uh, he's in, and his role's not particularly a sexual one, but he is uh, a sexy man. Um, but he's mm. uh, he's quite believable, I think, and an intriguing character. And, and yeah. look, this is a, a good example of a show that you know you really have to hit episode four or so to start finding out the backstory to these characters. And mm. one of the criticisms I'd have is, it, you know, it's an ensemble show um, and the first few episodes, uh, both you've got to catch up with, you know, what's quite a 
intricate story in terms of who's allied with who and who's trying to overthrow who, um, but you don't actually know the individuals as characters. And I think that would be um, one of my criticisms is that you're sort of floating around trying to find out, you know, who's going to be my favourite, if you like. Um, you don't have yeah, a way, sure. easy way into the story. And the main character... Um, um, to start with is is John Silver, who obviously eventually becomes Long John Silver, um, but you don't know anything about him. Uh, it, it, uh, he's another one that's a little too pretty. Yeah, he's and that might be because he's he's actually his role is he's on the merchant ship that's captured by the pirate ship at the beginning. Now, if you knew about a bit about his backstory, <laughs> might explain why he's so pretty and why he was on the ship and all that sort of stuff. It, it, it would uh, perhaps make a bit more sense. But uh, all you know, he comes across a sort of Hollywood good-looking hero. And given that, you know, as we said, this is set up uh, as a prequel to Treasure Island, which will be the story that most people know, which star, you know, which the, the, the lead character of which is Long John Silver, uh, they, you know, this should be the key character we're, we're focusing on. And... He just comes across as a, a bit of a CW pretty boy, really. Uh, and you don't know mm -hmm. anything about him. And so although that might develop, we actually get to know more about all the other characters. And so you don't care about him. And I think if if, if I had a criticism is that it's to try – it covers all these characters to at the same time without sort of – you need at least one, I think, to, to feel that you're connecting – with and he should be it and he's not. Uh, in fact, Max, who's mm. the who works in the brothel, who's also the lover of Eleanor Guthrie, the the woman running the place. Uh, you get you get to know a lot more about her in the first three episodes than you do about Long John Silver. So, um, mm. an exquisitely gorgeous woman, uh, Jessica Parker Kennedy, who plays Max, um, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and and a good actor. So. Uh, that was a bit of my frustration, it, it, as you said. Unless you're paying attention, the story intricacies, the story get a bit confusing, and you're also trying to keep up with who's who. Uh, and because they're all dirty-looking pirates, that can be a bit confusing. It's a bit like the interchangeable beardy men on Game of Thrones, uh, and particularly when there's plotting and deception going on, you need to keep up with who's deceiving who, and it's hard when they all look the same. Yes, <laughs> uh, they and they do a little. Um, how far have you? Well, I think I'm up to episode this, five or uh, six. Show? Okay, um, it, it does get. It, I wouldn't say better, but it, it's it's a it's pretty even across the board as to the episodes. I don't think it's quite as exciting as Game of Thrones, for instance. Um, there's certainly not as much. There doesn't feel to be as much stakes as in Game of Thrones. But and I think sorry um, to interrupt. I think that's. I, I think it, interchangeably, like the way that they look. I think that they're very yeah, similar. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's the in Game of Thrones. You get invested with individual characters, and that's what's lacking here. Although the you know, mm. and whether it's just the writing is just not sharp enough or not. Uh, they're just not giving you enough of the individual characters. So then the stakes about who's going to, you know, it's the first or second second episode, there's a whole thing about Captain Flint being overthrown as captain of the ship. 
which is fine and good, except I don't know who Captain Flint is, so I don't really care who's captain of the ship. I You only right. know he's yeah, important because yeah. they sort of go, oh, well, you know, he's important, he, he wants to be the captain. But, uh, you know, without that personal investment, um, uh, diving straight into this intrigue is fine, but you need to be bringing me along. It's like Walking Dead, you know. Um, you, you have to have characters that you're going to connect with whether you love them or hate them doesn't really matter as long as you're connected with them and you care whether the zombies are going to eat them or whether you know they're going to get beheaded in game of thrones or whatever whereas here i've sort of you know anyone could get killed and i'm not really that invested except for captain vane because he's intriguing (laughs) but um um, yeah so i i I think there and you know i've I'd be interested to keep watching to see if they get a better handle on that. It's been renewed for a second season, so um, it does lots of good things. There is swashbuckling, um, which is good. You've got Mm -hmm. a pirate movie. They do wear puffy shirts. Uh, No parrots as yet, Um, but (laughs) it's it's got all the things you want from a pirate movie or series. I agree, yeah, and beautiful people and ugly people and – gross out stuff and action and adventure and intrigue and backstabbing literally and figuratively i i i do like it i'm looking forward to seeing season two it didn't make well maybe it did i I would say if it made my top 10 list it came in right at 10 but uh definitely a very a very cool show and especially worth watching especially if you're missing game of thrones yeah i think that that would be you you're spot on with uh the audience that that would take up with this. Um, also, you know, it's no Spartacus in terms of, uh, uh, you know, in terms of character and that, but or, or story, story or, or anything. Or but, uh, if you like Spartacus, yeah. if you like Musketeers that we'll be talking about in a few weeks, I think it's, de- it's definitely yeah. much better than Musketeers, uh, which is an enjoyable romp in itself. Mm. Uh, so, mm. yeah, I think Vikings, Vikings yeah. Vikings, so yeah. if you'd like a bit of... Yeah. Uh, period romp boobs and swords um again it's uh following a a really interesting stars tradition that i I think hasn't been talked about much except by us probably uh you know it it's a show that could have been all about guys on a ship white guys on a ship it's got a very mixed race cast um it, it's got major female characters in a in a you know a series again that would have been easy just to have a couple of token wenches in corsets. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it is nice to see um, to see women be you know we have women in this who are you know pirates and whores and upper class and the traders and um, a range of characters. And it seems to be a bit of a hallmark of, of stars shows that they're. Um, they have this diversity in their in their casts and uh, characters. It's uh, sort of a quiet revolution where you least expect it. Agreed. Um, it it does have some hallmarks that are pretty unique to a star show. Um, I like it. Uh, it it's it's showrunner is Jonathan A. Silverberg, sorry Steinberg, uh, whom you might remember. Uh, Jericho, he did, and Human Target uh, season oh, two. Oh, did, did he now? Oh, that's yeah. interesting. It's also got as so well. It's also got uh, Michael Bay attached to it, and 
Bradley Fuller, who's who's well known because it's a Platinum Dunes production uh, for rebooting uh, many of the horror classic uh, franchises such as uh, Chainsaw Massacre and Friday the Thirteenth and Nightmare on Elm Street. So you know it's got some uh, big big names behind it. Very cool. I, I I definitely recommend taking a look and see what you think. And let us know. <laughs> Tweet us and go. I love pirates. Now to go from pirates in puffy shirts to pirates in suits. Oh, lies! Oh, that was a nice segue. Oh, that was one of your best. Very Thank nice. You. you kind of missed your cue to say House, House of, of Cards. Cards. Sorry, I was just overwhelmed with the with the um, elegance of that. The, the cleverness. Elegance the cleverness. I'm going with of that segue. House of Cards. Where have you been? Did you just up and disappear? You- where did you get this? Wrong question. Shelley Barnes of the Washington Herald quoting a source close to the president. I'm not exactly sure how it got leaked. We're in damage control now. Where are you getting the shit? You're a metro scrub and now look at you. I'm a powerful friend to have right now. Perhaps your only friend. I'm done. Hey, Christine. I don't want to hear it, Peter. What does she want? Access. Seat at the table. I'll go underground, up back rooms, the urinals. Gossip column. No, we lift the veil. What's really going on? I can't keep having my work take these hits on behalf of yours. It's more than just an inconvenience. Politics. This force is bigger than either of us at play here. Does that mean I'm going to have the bed to myself tonight? We'll have a lot of nights like this. Making plans. Very little sleep. I expected that. It doesn't worry me. Hey! We mustn't leave any trails. Thank you. I have to tell you a bit about my history with House of Oh, Cards. I'll get another beer. You go ahead. You get you get another right. beer, and I <laughs> gather gather round, listeners, gather round. Um, back in the day, um, and this is probably before many of you were even born. Um, there was a there was a novel written called House of Cards by someone who was the chief of staff of the Conservative Party in the UK. Uh, And it was made into a radio play and then eventually became a um, TV series called House of Cards in 1990 on the BBC. And uh, it had two sequels, uh, To Play the King and the Final Cut. And I loved these. Uh, One of those series that I would actually re-watch, I think I, I remember taping it would have been taping it on VHS at the time and eventually buying the videos and rewatching. I'm uh one of my big kinks is political intrigue and this is what that is about. Um the UK one and I just say this to set it up and, and to contrast it a little bit with the US one was set after the fall of Margaret Thatcher. Um so the the series opens with um her having stepped down and and sort of the political uh, infighting that's going on to become the next leader of the Conservative Party and uh, the the key the central figure who's also the central figure in the US series uh, is a character called Francis uh, Urquhart. Um, so skip forward uh, twenty five years or so and Netflix have produced the US version of House of Cards uh, along with its star Kevin Spacey who of course has lived in the UK um, for many oh, years. So we're... No. Didn't you? There you go. Um, 
So in this house of cards, um, it's uh, Frank Underwood, not Frank Urquhart, uh, who's a Democrat, uh, and the House Majority Whip, who is up to be uh, Secretary of State, but he gets uh, passed over. And uh, the the story is basically his his manoeuvring uh, within within politics to you know advance himself uh and one of the standout parts of the of the show is its uh look at the media's relationship with politics so the the key central relationship is is Frank Underwood played by Kevin Spacey with his wife um Played by wonderfully played by Robin Wright, but also his relationship with a journalist who later becomes a blogger, um, and uh, and and how she works with him uh, to both further her own um, career and but also the tensions of the media but relationship. The, the creepy with thing politics. about that is he's only sleeping with her to use her as leverage. He doesn't care about her, and it's not really even that attracted to her. He's yes. sleeping oh, with yes. her and, just to use her as a pawn in case he needs that yep. media leverage. Yep. Okay. I mean, it's it's, it's a literal uh, representation of politics fucking the media. Mm. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of uh, – and it's not just, uh, you know, political manoeuvring. Um, uh, there is actual murder goes on Um most of the people, it doesn't really matter what side of politics they're on, are really bad people. Yeah. <laughs> um, I've seen all of the first season of and, and half of the second season of the of the US, or we'll just say of the series. Uh, what did you think of it, Ryan? It has everything that I should absolutely love it. It's got amazing actors in it. Um, it's got... In intriguing script, it's beautifully filmed. Again, like the last show we reviewed, it's doing everything right. It's got swearing and nudity and violence and all that other stuff. <laughs> I just don't give a shit about the content. I, I, and, and it's not that it's not interesting, it is, but there's something, and this maybe sort of goes to why I didn't like Hannibal and why I didn't like Dexter, is there's something about about taking people who are incredulous and terrible people and glamorizing them. Um, you know, these, these people are essentially just conniving assholes in suits, and they're sort of made to look like the hero of the day, and I, I, I think that kind of bothers me. Um, I, don't, I think it touches too close to home. I think that politics is a dirty, nasty, corrupt business, and I think it should be shameful and... We shouldn't necessarily be making television shows about it that's, you know, quote-unquote glamorize it. I, I know the show isn't saying, how look how great these people are. However, it, it doesn't seem to be putting them in a light where you're like, oh, tsk, tsk. It reminds me a little bit of the series Boss. Did you ever watch Boss with Kelsey Grammer? No. Um, we should review I, that. I, saw, it, I, saw the first, yeah. I did see the first couple of episodes. It was very similar um, to this. Um where he kills Grammar plays the mayor of Chicago, but it's the same sort of political uh, toothied grin to the public and backstabbing conniver behind everyone's backs. Um, it's robots in suits, I think. You know, like him and his wife have a mutual agreement that they're together only for how it looks on the outside, and she's fine with that, and he's fine with that, and they're both fucking around and openly talking about who they're fucking so that they could use that person for political gain. Um, 
I, I was interested when they started bringing the young guy up and trying to get him in the governor's seat. Mm-hmm. But again, he's a piece of shit of a person, and <laughs> they're they're putting him, you know, trying to get him out there and use him to their advantage and this sort of thing. I mean, Kevin Spacey is amazing, and and Robin Penn is amazing. Uh, Robert Wright, sorry, Robin Wright. Um, they're all amazing. I just don't think it's good, I, I, and I don't mean it's not a good show. The people aren't good, and the promoting of of that view i don't think is good so it's not like i didn't like the show but there's something about me that's just like i i'm not finding entertainment from it yep that's that's fair enough um i i enjoyed it i as i said this is uh you know what i'm i'm a, a big sucker for sort of political intrigue i think we're well established that uh given my love for sons of anarchy i don't mind watching uh, but is there political intrigue <laughs> I mean, uh, yes, there's no you... real intrigue. It's just um, political abuse. Both. I mean, I, I think maybe as it as it goes on, there's uh, more of the the intrigue part of it. I mean, one of my my one of my few criticisms of this though would be one thing that was great about the UK series. Uh, which you know the stories are very similar, although obviously told differently given the culture. But it it was made at a time, and and the story was based on coming out of the Thatcher era, so mm-hmm. it was actually um, embedded in in the reality of the time, and and captured. Uh, there was something. Uh, about the way it captured that mood, you know, coming out of a time when you'd had one person dominating politics for a couple of decades and and the and, and, and influencing the culture of the country in such a way, whereas this is a bit more in a bubble, like it's a bit more uh, West Wing, if you like, in that it's not actually related to uh, actual current politics. Uh, although I've no doubt, as you said, you know, I've, I've no doubt that there's you know, some analogy and and with real politics, but it's not – I would have liked to have seen it a little bit more and I think it would have been a more interesting show for it to be perhaps set maybe coming out of the Bush era or even set it, you know, post-Clinton or something where uh, that actual, you know, the reality could could intersect with the So like a newsroom kind of thing. I was trying to avoid using that as a <laughs> – I have a very ambivalent relationship oh, with Newsroom. But the, the part, and this is the Aaron Sorkin uh, um, series, and of course West Wing is the other thing that people would perhaps compare this to, although they're very different in, in tone and, and content really, other than being about politics. Um, so the Newsroom actually takes place, is it two years before the current time? So they I actually so, yeah. they actually use real events in it in this newsroom which is is covering these stories and that's the part i like best about newsroom is to look at how what goes on in the media to cover a story and i would have liked mm-hmm. to have had some of the some real politics influencing you know how that might shape or constrain or change the the dastardly dealings that that are going on um but yeah look if you don't if uh, if you don't mind watching um horrible people doing horrible things to other horrible people and to innocent people. Um, 
and if you like, you know, as I said, I'm a, I'm a sucker for any sort of political um, drama. Uh, there's a lot to enjoy here. Kevin Spacey's performance, I I thoroughly enjoy. Uh, he he plays um, he's a character from a southern state. Um, a lot of breaking of the fourth wall, so he often monologues to the audience. Um, again, something that I think when it's done well as a, as it is here, I really enjoy. Um, but yeah, it's hard to. In a similar way that Black Sails, it's hard to connect to characters, but I think it's because of how they're written. Uh, in House of Cards, it can be hard to connect to any of the characters because they're just horrible people. Um, and a lot of anyone who sort of has a sparkling of, of being a good person ends up having a terrible end. Um, so <laughs> it, it's it's quite Shakespearean. It's very sort of, you know, Richard III and, um, yeah, the innocents get slaughtered. Um, but, yeah, if you like, yeah, if you – I was going to say, if you like the West Wing, I, I don't know if it's it's too different to the West Wing for, for that to be a common audience, but if you do have an interest in politics, if you do like shows about bad people, so, you know, it's almost like this is, um, you know, Sons of Anarchy without motorbikes in a way. Oh, my God, uh, yeah. It's similar in that there's, you know, ambition and what you will do to get what you want um, and not having those, uh, you know, not having any ethics or scruples about uh, how you get there and losing sight of, you know, it's all, the, the eye is always on the prize and it's always the ends justifies the means. Uh, and, of course, I think, you know, there is a bigger um, picture here of, of, you know, when you're talking about politics, um, you are talking about the people who run the country as well. So the ramifications are, are, are far-reaching. Um, so, yeah, I enjoyed it. I haven't – I started uh, season two, and as I said, I've got probably a third of the way through, but it is a show uh, – it's a good thing it's on Netflix. It's a show you do probably binging helps because it does get very intricate in terms of who's doing what to whom and um, probably uh, not being as familiar with – Who's who's who in American politics in terms of the minutiae of political structures? I need to pay a bit more attention. But um, yeah, I I don't know about that. What I would say is I know that this is an extremely popular show and it's done gangbusters. So I'm talking at a turn. But to me, I don't like to see people whom you're supposed to trust do bad things. Um, if you like this, you would probably like Boss, like I said, uh, with Kelsey Grammer, which was very powerful. Um, but there's also a Chris Haddock-produced show from Vancouver, uh, and it was a, a spinoff of Da Vinci's Inquest, which was a show that was done for six seasons, I think, in Vancouver, which was about a Vancouver coroner, uh, based on real-life events uh, of Larry Campbell, who was a Vancouver coroner, who then went on to become mayor of Vancouver. And so this show ended up being called Da Vinci's City Hall, uh, which was about Dominic Da Vinci becoming mayor. Um, it was similar to this in that you're behind the scenes of the politics. You're learning, you know, how people are getting promises that they're going to do things when these people agree to align with these people in this. Um, now, obviously, for me, I found it more interesting because it had to do with civic politics in the city I live in. So that's yeah. that's unique. You don't see that on television. Um, but it was amazing writing and acting out of this world. and. I, I really, I'm going to try really hard to find a copy of it somewhere and get it to you. 
Uh, okay. Based on the, the same show, Intelligence, that we watched uh, before that we both yes. loved uh, from the same creators. Anyways, uh, long story short, I can definitely see entertainment in City Hall or in you know the caucus or, or wherever it may be. But to me, I just, this one, I, I, I don't say I hate it, but I probably won't finish watching it. Now, let me ask you a question. You can marry, shag, or kill one of these three things. House of Lies, House of Cards, or House of a Thousand Corpses. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. Um, oh, I think I'd have... Oh. That's that's very hard because oh well killing would have to go along with House of a Thousand Corpses even though I don't want to kill it as in destroy it but I'd like to go on a killing spree with it oh that's so, not that's not what I meant Ooh, well yikes. well too bad I'm putting my own interpretation on it um, oh what is this subtext <laughs> <laughs> oh God I want to I want to I'd have to I'd have to shag House of Lies. Uh-huh. Um, and I don't want to marry House of Cards either. Okay, one um, one of them gets cancelled. Which one gets cancelled? House of Cards or House of Lies? Oh, House of Cards. I'm, I'm, House of Lies, I'm absolutely, totally in love oh, with. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, um, I thought so. I, I, I absolutely um, cannot wait for it to come back and have been actually re-watching, which is a very rare thing for me that to is, do. It is, yeah. Um, you don't have time so, for that. Uh, if people haven't watched House of Lies, go back and listen to our podcast about uh, uh, House of Lies with uh, Kristen Bell and I'm going to go blank Dom, now. Domeraria? Nope. John Cheadle. <laughs> um, and uh, it, it's it's brilliant. It's and, and and that has its own level of intrigue and. But it's it's so so funny. And so, it also so has funny. a lot of terrible people doing terrible things to each other. Uh, it does, but that also um, there is they do show their humanity, if you like. So in a way that's uh, that they feel more likable characters. Not that I would necessarily actually want to have any of them as my friends but no <laughs> you and I, and I think we've talked about it you know one of the great things i think the show does really well is without doing the sort of very special episode um you get glimmers of why these people are like they are uh and that's where i think the writing in house of lies is so good so without taking away from don Cheadle's character being this absolute shark you you see his home life. You see uh, his experience of of, of being a, a middle class black man and how that's influenced, uh, you know, how he is in business. And, and Kristen Bell as well. You get to see, you know, what her experience is like. And as I said, it's not in a didactic way. It's done so well and so subtly that you're sitting back laughing and and cringing at these awful people. But I'd much rather be having dinner with any of them than anyone from House of Cards. And it's got Ben Schwartz in it. And it's got Ben Schwartz and Josh Lawson in it. Um, so good good things there. Um, but we shouldn't... Uh, I don't know when it comes back. Do you know when it comes uh, back? I do not know. No, I'm not too sure. No, we, mu- we must find out because it's very, very awesome. 
Um, so, yes, House of Cards. Uh, it's on Netflix both seasons, so, of course, you can dip into it whenever you want and a good one to binge um, binge watch uh, so that you can, a bit like Game of Thrones. I know a lot of people have introduced Game of Thrones to, I've said, you know, power through at least half the first season because you need it to wash over you and start to absorb all the intricacies. Don't get too anxious that you're not following it you'll eventually, you know, get get into the story. But uh, these are shows, I think, that you need to sit down and watch. They're not – and there was another study out recently. um, (laughs) I read a lot of articles about studies about TV, and this was about what they called second device viewing, so where people are watching TV but they're on their phone or they're on their computer, uh, they're doing other things. And I think – you know, we've talked about this before. I have shows that are my single device shows where I go and sit sit in my special room and, and uh, listen to watch my stories. Yeah. Uh, and I think some shows deserve deserve that and need that because otherwise you aren't going to keep up with either character development or plot intricacies. So um, put down that phone. <laughs> and that's where I think um, things like House of Lies, which is only on Netflix they almost get a little bit of a leg up because Netflix being an internet-based service, not everyone has it available on their televisions. So they may be watching it on their second device. They might be watching it on their oh, tablet or on true. the computer. Isn't that I hadn't something? Thought of, mm. I hadn't, well, I hadn't thought of that because I watch Netflix on my television. So Yeah, um, it's getting closer. Getting closer. Uh, that is different. But, uh, you know, I think – and it's um, – I suppose it's a piece of news, not one I want to dwell on, that Adam Sandler's made a deal with Netflix to do a number of movies. Um, and this prompt, I think, four movies or something like that. Well, needs another four Adam Sandler movies. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not. Um, but, it, you know, it brought up a lot of conversation. And I think, is it Netflix that's also doing a Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon movie right. sequel yeah. or something? Mm-hmm. that, And mm-hmm. it's going to... I think it's going to go mm-hmm. straight to Netflix, but also be at IMAX or something. Um, so a lot of conversation around, uh, you know, is this the death of cinema, which, you know, is a conversation that comes around every every few decades, certainly back in the day when VHS tapes first came out, that was that was a big conversation. Um, mm-hmm. I'm a, I have to say, I'm a, I love going to the cinema. I mean, I watch movies on my TV or phone or whatever, but... There is nothing better than going to the cinema and sitting in the dark and being un- totally immersed in that movie, uh, no distractions except for the person, you know, coughing next to you. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, I, I love that. Do you do you still like going to the cinema? Oh, oh, absolutely, I do. Yep, I do. I try to go at least you know once a month, but usually it's a couple times a month if I can. Um, and I'll go and watch stuff I'm not really even that interested in just for the sake of it. Um, yeah, I don't I, think I, it's going to be dying anytime soon. I know home video and stuff makes them nervous, but I don't see why it has to go away. No, and I think, um, as I was saying, certainly the going to see Tusk, which obviously has a very, very small you know, target audience. Um, but still, there's a cinema in my town that set up a, you know, a Skype with Kevin Smith and, right. you know, yep. that sold out in minutes and that's not something you can do at, at home. Um, and I think uh, just that experience of getting to see something on a big screen and although people joke about sometimes uh, this particular cinema's got um, 
it's it's I suppose you'd call it an art house, but it's got eighteen screens in it, and some of them are not much bigger than your lounge room, probably. Yeah. Um, but still, the fact that I can go and sit in the dark and and watch a movie, and I know some people. I have some friends who are like, oh, well, it's not a blockbuster, so I don't need to see it on the big screen. But for me, it's not just about special effects or cinematography. It is about that experience of being immersed in something. I also like sharing the experience with other people. I mean, I think there's something to be said for watching a movie with in the dark with strangers and, and laughing or screaming or whatever at the same at the same time. Um mm. I like doing things with strangers, but we we know that. Oh, God. Don't talk about it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So that's my rave about why I love the cinema. Agreed. I also like it. What are we talking about next week, Jules? Don't answer that because you don't know the answer because I just changed it. Next week we're talking about (laughs) Luther and Musketeers. Oh, fantastic. Fantastic. So both both BBC shows, right? Both BBC. BBC or shows English and, shows. I don't know if they're BBC, but oh, from England. Well. The uh, land of Ing. Uh, if people want to pre-watch, go on to Netflix. Pretty sure Luther is on Netflix. It is. It, has it is. It has um, been. It is. And there's what? Three episodes a season? Three or four. It varies yeah. from, from season to season. Uh, so... Yes, you'll find different. Starring Idris Elba, if that's not enough to get you watching, I don't know what is. And we'll be talking about Musketeers, which is a um, uh, a series from last season, and uh, I want am very curious to know what Jules thought of Musketeers. Mm. So tune in next week for the intrigue and the mystery. If you like the podcast, please visit us on iTunes and give us a rate and review. Five stars is fantastic, but if you feel like we're worth less, well, then put in less. <laughs> And and leave us a comment and we'll read it out in a funny voice. Um, just let live, us know that you left it. Just let us know that you left it because depending on what country you're on, it turns up on different iTunes. You can catch us on Twitter on at TV Chinwag uh, and visit our website tvchinwag.com. Uh, thank you very much, Ryan. Thank you, Jules. Thank you for doing this once again this week and uh, make sure you do all your homework because I want a very succinct review. Do you? You'll get what you'll get what you're given. I've never heard anyone so obsolent. Is that a Uh, word? Obsolent? Did I just make that up? Oh, I think you just made that up. But maybe it's a uh, Canadian word. I'll look it up. I'll get back to you next week. Thanks for listening, everyone. Go and watch some television. Cheers. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please consider giving us a review on iTunes. Send mail to fans at tvchinwag.com or follow on Twitter at tvchinwag. Music for this podcast provided by YouTube Music. For Ryan, Jules, and myself, thanks for listening to TV Chinwag. I don't know.